Welcome to Ministry Strong with Lisa Whittle, where ministry matters so much that a co-host and I have conversations to help strengthen and encourage ministry leaders to serve Jesus with integrity for the long haul. And we don't shy away from the tough issues about culture and the church. Well, this is why I wanted to do this show, and I told you a little bit of this off air, but I wanted to say this so the listeners can hear it, because we have thousands of people in the church who have been abused in the church, and more than we might think at the hands of a spiritual authority figure or on the church clock, and we can't ignore that. We can't shut that out, even though it's uncomfortable, and so as someone who deeply loves the church, has traveled long with the church, and is for the church, I, I want to listen, I want to understand, uh, and I want to support, and I want to not turn away because it's uncomfortable for me, and so I'm challenging my own self to have some conversations that I think are important that other people can listen in on. You, Dr. Langberg, say yourself in the intro of your book, Redeeming Power, that you were in maybe sort of a similar place as me at one time, and you say, quote, I decided by God's grace to listen to the unbelieved and the disenfranchised. Doing so has changed me and shaped my life. Can you tell us more about that and how this work started for you? Yes, uh, I was, uh, was in the early 1970s. I had just finished a master's degree in psychology and started my doctorate, and I was a rare female. Um, the field was largely male at the time, and I was the only female in my doctoral program. I was seeing Vietnam vets, um, just because it was at that time, and I was seeing a lot of women because I was female, and they came to me for help. Certainly not because I knew what I was doing. <laughs> I was a baby in the field, but they felt safer talking to a woman. And so I began to hear very masked statements that I certainly began to learn meant things about sexual abuse and rape and domestic abuse. And one of the first ones was from a young college girl with blonde hair down to her waist. And at some point in a session, she took that hair and threw it over her face so I could not see her. Mm. And she said, my father used to do weird things to me. Mm. And I didn't know what she meant. My father never was weird. <laughs> yeah. You know, and he, he was a man of great integrity and uh, for whom I had much respect. And so I, I didn't know how to interpret that. And she didn't want to tell me. Right. So it took a long time for her to be able to do that little by little. Um, and then there were several other women, and I went to a supervisor because there were no books. There was no training. Uh, right. We didn't use the word trauma in the field yet. Post-traumatic stress disorder was not a diagnosis until 1980. So this is eight years before that. So I'm working with Vietnam vets who are traumatized, only they're not. <laughs> <laughs> because it's not a word. And yeah. I'm working with women who are traumatized. And what I began to realize was they all had the same symptoms. Uh, so I knew there was something. I mean, the you know, the females hadn't been to war, literally. And yeah. at that point, to my knowledge, the vets had not been sexually abused, which, of course, now I know better than that, too. But um, I, I was fascinated by the fact that they had the same experiences and symptoms and were all terrified to talk and expected to be shamed or disbelieved. So I went to a supervisor who told me not to believe them, the women, um, because they made stuff up like that up for attention. 
And that was somewhere in there when I'd heard from more than one female, I truly made the decision, I'm not going to listen to the supervisor, I'm going to listen to the women. Wow. I told them, I have no idea what you're talking about. I've never experienced anything you've alluded to. There's nothing in the books I can read for us to help us, but I would like to help. So I will listen and I will believe you if if you have the courage to talk to me. And they did. Goodness. Mm. I am, wow, I am so moved and emotional by what you're saying. And, um, and I believe what you're saying, because um, I, I certainly uh, am not a counselor and don't have your expertise and, uh, uh, and any of that. But I, I know even just in uh, being a Bible teacher and, and hearing from women as, as you know, you, you teach the Bible and you go around and, and you write books and these things, you know, women um, tell you things. And um, they're, they're, they're remarkable in the most... Um, deep and guttural way and um, that you don't forget them they mark you you know and and they're to be believed like you know they how could you not believe them that that it would be ridiculous not to when you look in someone's eyes and you hear them and and you your heart resonates with them and your heart your heart recognizes them as truth you know you know and um i can only imagine as they sat there you you knowing what they were saying was true you know i've heard from people who say when when difficult subjects like this come up and i I don't even know their motive dr langberg maybe they there's i'm sure it's fear i'm sure it's a weird protective mode of the church i don't know i don't even know i'm not even going to try to guess but i've heard from people who say when when these kinds of subjects are brought up they become uh harmful to the church somehow or divisive to the church somehow i don't know what what would you say to that kind of a a thought process (laughs) that it's wrong it is divisive to the church but jesus was divisive i mean the scripture says you know that at some point you know they they went back and no more walked with him um and he is the truth so they walked away from truth because it disturbed their hearts their minds and their lives and their systems so it's the same thing today um it, it, is, it can be divisive to the church, but it is never harmful to speak the truth because that's who he is. Yes. And he said a lot of hard truths that nobody wanted uncovered. Uh, and that's what people are doing when they tell those stories. They're saying hard truth that we don't want uncovered. And that increases exponentially if it's about their father and he's a deacon or it's about somebody and he's a pastor or you know anybody in a a spiritual authority place we think it will really do damage to the church without having a clue that the damage to the body of jesus christ and to his head is being done as long as that continues that's absolutely so true. My word. One of the things that struck me when I started reading Redeeming Power is how you talk about this hard conversation about abuse in the church as joining God in the fellowship of his sufferings. 
gosh, I get emotional when I think about that. A sewer, not a place that we want to go. I've often thought about what God must think as his eyes roam the earth, seeing everything. The abuse of his children has to be at the top of what grieves him the very most. Will you talk to us about why we need to care about this? If that, I mean, I I can't imagine that in our own hearts that we just don't know innately. But, but for for someone who says, okay, well, why do I need to care about this? When honestly, so many in the church do not care enough about the vulnerable and the taken advantage of, because we are so busy living our everyday lives that it does not make our list. Well, we're also busy protecting those lives and the way they run. We don't want them disturbed. Yeah. Um, I, I think part of it is, you know, if, if you go back to the time of Jesus, it was the same kinds of things. You know, the religious authorities wanted him to shut up because he was disturbing things. Yeah. And we want the church or whatever, or a Christian organization, to keep going and to do all the good work it's doing and everything else, whether it looks like Christ or not. We, we miss that part. When I, I talk about this in my book a little bit, but my father was a colonel in the Air Force and uh, a remarkable man, but he had to retire at one point because of a neurological disease, which he had for 30-some years before he died. So I watched him deteriorate. And one of the lessons I learned I mean, he was an athlete. He, he was a tennis player, all kinds of things. I, I learned that when a body does not follow what its head tells it to do, it's a very sick body. And I learned that lesson on the physical level watching him. And some years later, God connected the wires for me. And I went, oh, <laughs> when the body of Christ does not follow its head, it's a sick body. And he went into the darkness he went to the little ones. He bent down. He, you know, he, he did, he took the children on his lap. He, what he did with Mary Magdalene is amazing. What he did with a Samaria yeah. woman, he broke all the rules. And that's what it looks like to follow him. And I have, um, in this work, I've had a couple of times in my life when I told God I quit. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I relate to that. <laughs> okay, I've heard enough of these stories. I'm done. Uh, clearly, yeah. he, he won. But anyway, um, but part of that had to do with not knowing how to carry the evil. And not only that, but the evil in the darkness that was actually in this thing called the church. But what he taught me was, that's where I am. <laughs> I am in the evil and the darkness, and I'm bringing light and truth I mean, the cross is the flaming example of that. When you think of what that was really like and what it involved. And so if you want to follow me, you have to go where I go. So you don't have to do this work, but you will be backing up from me if you stop. Another thing I couldn't get past as I was reading was the thought about power. That's a major theme in your book, of course, but it's really important because even in things we consider small, I think this shows up, like what we call Christian celebrity. Now, and calls it in his book, The Selfless Way of Christ, the lure of upward mobility, to be known and really to gain power. How does that pull in culture, and even the Christian culture, create a culture of abuse in the church? 
Well, part of it is that humans were meant to have power. I mean, we're created in the image of God, and He has all power. Yeah. So we are meant to have it. He, he said to Adam and Eve, go out there and rule and subdue the earth. Those are power words. The problem, of course, is what happened <laughs> with deception and all of those things and the fact that the power that God gave humans is now used often in terrible ways that look nothing like him. But it is a characteristic of humans. And, you know, it always makes me ch chuckle when people tell me they have no power or no, some people have no power. When you think of an infant you've just brought home from the hospital and at 3 o'clock in the morning that baby cries and you may be <laughs> exhausted and everything else, but two adults are going to jump out of bed at 3 o'clock in the morning. It's the capacity to influence. Unfortunately, it's gotten to be things that we hunger for that are temporary and, you know, whether it's money or status or followings and all of those things. But the fact is, it is the power to influence and invite and make changes. Um, and that's the part that is like God. And so it's all twisted up. And where it gets really confusing for people is when it's in the church. Because what we think is, this is God's work. Therefore, we cannot tell this truth. Therefore, we have to protect this leader no matter what he or she is doing. And so we have confused the system, the organization, yeah. uh, with the, the real Church of Christ, which is his body. And so we protect the system and end up not protecting the name of Christ and certainly not protecting the vulnerable ones because they get in the way. And they often got in his way and he stopped. I was looking in the Gospels recently and just struck by how frequently in the Gospels, talking about what Jesus is doing and where he's going and everything, it says, and he saw. And seeing the crowd, he did. And he saw. He did not ever turn a blind eye. And that's what we're doing. That's what a cover-up is. We're turning blind eyes to wounded humans because if the truth is told and we stand with them, our lives will be turned upside down and the system that we love more than Christ will be preserved. You know, I, I write this in my, my new book, The Hard Good. There's a chapter I was telling you called Facing Uncomfortable Truth and Hard Conversations. And I say this, I'm convinced that one of the ways we can turn this thing around, talking about, you know, how, how people see believers, is to stop lashing out, stonewalling, and running away from conversations that make us uncomfortable, especially when we benefit from silencing them. God, forgive us. Is, is this one of those conversations we've benefited from silencing? Yes, because it has preserved the people in power that we want to stay there. It has preserved ourselves. It has preserved the systems that we're comfortable with that make us feel good. And so money. we worship money. the system. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Money, fame, crowds, feel good stuff. And it's all done in God's name. So it's very confusing to people, actually. Yes. Because they really do think and feel that if they expose the truth, they're damaging God. Yes. Which, yes. you know, 
a hideous, ugly truth does not damage God. It already did on the cross. That's right. It's very confusing, and I think that is what has made it all be so difficult because it's it's gotten it's very convoluted it's you know when anything that's done in the name of Jesus is that one more level of um egregious and when it when it's when it's abusive or damaging it's one more level of egregious it's one more de- level of wounding and it you know it it just it just goes that much deeper and I think that's, to me, that's one of the reasons it needs to be uncovered and talked about the most is because it is more wounding when it is done by someone that you love and trust in the faith that, than it is, you know, if it was someone that, that wasn't, it, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't be tied into your whole belief system about who God is. You know, two words that can almost cause a visceral response from me when when used in some cases and and I, and I will say you know part of this is because I I've grown up in in the church and part of it is because uh, you know I've known people who have abused these words um, are the words loyalty and honor um, the thing is I'm a very loyal person so that word matters to me and I think that's one reason why it, it's hurtful to me when it's when it is when it becomes convoluted when it's misused what I've noticed is that that those words are used against people often people who are seen as loyal uh, for personal gain and so sort of to expect loyalty of that person in authority at all costs, which is what you were talking about a minute, which is really about asking them to to keep their secrets, often really damaging ones. What would you say to someone who says, I'm not sure where to draw that line with loyalty and honor with someone in spiritual authority over me? Because I've got to tell you, Dr. Langberg, that word honor, it's used so much these days in sort of spiritual ways, and, and, and it bothers me. It bothers me a lot because I'm not sure we understand what in spiritual terms, in biblical terms, honor is really supposed to be. Well, I think part of what we've lost sight of is the difference between Jesus Christ and the people who call themselves Christians. And so the people who call themselves Christians, which includes you and me, are flawed. And we get uh, seduced, and we can be deceitful. I mean, that's the core of all of this, is deception. was the core from the beginning. And so it all gets merged together, and somehow if I speak some of this truth and uncover it, I'm doing damage to God, and his work. And that's not true. There is only one loyalty required, and that is that's to Christ. And there is only yeah. one who is worthy of honor. And it isn't that we can't honor humans, I don't mean that, but it's a whole different kind of thing, and certainly a different level, and it is never someone who is infallible. Mm. That is actually so true. I think that is that that is the point here. It is that honor has the honor that we 
are supposed to have for the one who is worthy. Only one, the only true one that we are supposed to honor at all costs, and and and, and we can do it with a with a sheer abandon. And there's no spin there, and there's no qualifications. And 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 I love that about the Lord that He's so trustworthy that I can give Him all of my honor, and I don't have to hold anything back. That it's not the same for humans. It's not supposed to be the same. And that any kind of human honor would be on a different level. And so, you know, I would just dare say to anyone listening, if you hear from a teacher, if you hear from a a spiritual authority who is who is pushing forth this message of honor and it and you don't have a clear picture in their message that it, it's on a different level from the ultimate honor um, and the unending honor that you're supposed to give the Lord Jesus Christ, then I would give pause to following that leader because uh, they're two different things. They are not the same and they are not to be mixed together. Uh, in some kind of mixing bowl, they are they are to be on different levels. So I appreciate you giving that that difference there. You think about that just for a second. Uh, we tell children to honor their father, and that comes right. straight out of the scripture, and that's yes. a good thing. But yep. what do you do if your father is raping you three times a week? So you know, and probably using that verse to tell the child it's okay. And so the thing that the Word of God did is become flesh. When words are not fleshed, you can't trust them. And so when people start talking about honor but are doing things that don't honor God, that is not the Word made flesh. It's the deceiver. Yes. Today, millions around the world are suffering as a result of violence, oppression, and extreme poverty. Sometimes this endless cycle of suffering can feel overwhelming. If you're like me, you want to bring an end to the suffering. As a follower of Jesus, you feel compelled to make a difference in our hurting world, and you want your church to be a part of the solution too. But sometimes it's hard to know exactly where to start and who to trust. That's why I'm excited to tell you about The Path from our friends at World Relief. The Path is a community of bold, compassionate people of faith who are committed to fighting against suffering and injustice in pursuit of lasting change by partnering with World Relief through their monthly gifts to World Relief. Whether it is a crisis in Ukraine, an earthquake in Haiti, or an influx of refugee arrivals from Afghanistan, you can trust that the PATH community is already there, responding with the love of Jesus alongside you and your church. Thanks to the monthly support from the PATH community, World Relief is making a difference around the world, and you and your church can be a part of it. Join the PATH community of monthly givers by visiting worldrelief.org forward slash ministry strong. That's worldrelief.org forward slash ministry strong. Be a part of the solution. Join the PATH at worldrelief.org forward slash ministry strong today. As a leader, do you ever feel like there's not enough of you to go around? Maybe you feel alone or that you're too busy helping others to tend to your own needs. Do you ever wonder who you should talk to about your life? If so, I want to tell you about Anchored Hope and the excellent counseling available to you today. 
Anchored Hope brings care and counseling to ministry leaders like you, as well as the people you serve. They offer convenient and confidential virtual counseling with professionally trained and theologically educated counselors. Choose a counselor based on a specific issue or contact the Anchored Hope team to ask for a recommendation based on your needs or partner with them as a ministry and utilize their services as a helpful extension of your team. As a shepherd and leader, you have to have a place you can trust for your own help and healing. To explore counselors and schedule your first session, visit anchoredhope.co. If you use code MINISTRYSTRONG at sign up, you'll get 10% off all your sessions through 2023. Again, that's anchoredhope.co. And don't forget to use code MINISTRYSTRONG when you register. Wow. That is, that's really important. I hope someone heard that. I hope someone rewinds that and writes that down because that is, that's the tipping point. That's the difference. And um, that is crucial, goodness sakes. You know, I, um, I have people say to me, I have people ask me, they say, Lisa, what do I do if I am not in a position of power. They're thinking about maybe in their church body and they're thinking, okay, I, I don't have I don't have a voice there necessarily. Maybe they go to a very large church or maybe they don't really know their pastor or their leadership and they're thinking, I, I'm compelled by the importance of being a part of this conversation and talking about things that matter and this is something that matters. What do I do if I'm if I don't feel like I have a voice in my church um, I'm just a person who sits in a chair or in a pew or whatever. What do I do? What, what would you say to that? Well, I, I would probably look at it from two angles. One is an examining angle. I mean, even if you go and aren't on any committees or don't go to any classes or anything like that, you sit next to people. How yes. do you greet them? You know, you, you have the power of, of, of making them feel like they matter. Yes. in the way that you greet them and follow up on that greeting another week when you see them or ask them about their children or their job or whatever. It is the attention paid to someone who bears the image of God who probably isn't important in the system either. <laughs> so we all have the capacity to treat humans with dignity and to enter into their lives sometimes in very superficial ways. Do you ever ask the woman who checks out your groceries what her life is like or how she is or how does she feel? Anything. Just to acknowledge her personhood. It's not, doesn't happen very often. Wow. So, you know, everybody has power. You know, I remember years ago, uh, I was a kid uh, and the, the, um, somebody came to the house to deliver something who was African-American, and my mother went to the door, and you know, you can just take the thing and say thank you, and then the person leaves. Well, she wasn't like that. So she went out on the porch and started talking to him and found out about his family and all that kind of stuff. And he, he left having been given honor and grace. Yeah. And he was a stranger. So, and that was a powerful thing. We lived in the South at the time. This was a long time ago because I'm old. (laughs) (laughs) I hear you. So it was a very unusual thing for a white woman to do. Wow. 
and she was full of unusual things like that, which was wonderful. But, but, but we do have it. There is so much Jesus in this book. I'm telling you, Redeeming Power is a book that every one of my listeners, I want you to get it. It inspired me so much. I'm going to be reading it again. In every hard thing, there is the redemption of God. If we will allow Him to do a work in our lives, I do believe that. Your book, as I said, is called Redeeming Power. How can abuse in the church, and I know this is a big, big question, and I know that every circumstance is is different, and I know you've seen hundreds of them, but even in just a a corporate way, do you believe, uh, how can abuse in the church be redeemed, Dr. Langberg? Well, I think the first thing I would say is that I have come to believe that the courageous victims of recent years in our midst who have spoken up about what has happened to them in churches or with Christian leaders or whatever else, or Sunday school teachers 20 years ago, are, are prophetic voices. In their voices is the voice of God. And he is turning on a light and he's calling his church back to himself. And she has in many ways lost her way. She's about fame and money and whatever, popularity and power and all kinds of things, which he, you know, that's not what he wants us to be about. And so they are turning on the lights and it's making a big mess. My my, um, West Virginia grandmother who lived up in the hills had a cellar in her house, <laughs> the dirt floor where she had a, you know, machine, washing machine. You had to do around and around with a handle with your hand to make it go. Yes. Yeah. And we went in there once and I backed right up into her because there was a rat. And my grandmother said to me, honey, when you turn the lights on, the rats will run. Mm-hmm. And that's what God is doing. He's turning the lights on. And when we cover it up, we're turning off his lights. And so the vulnerable ones who speak, whether it's about sexual abuse or rape or domestic violence or racism or you name it, the voice of God is in that message saying, stop, listen, stand in my light with these people. Look at yourself. Look at the world, look at the leadership. I've called you to be like me. If we don't listen, God help us. Yes, that's exactly right. I'm not sure that I have had a conversation that has moved me as much as this one with Dr. Langberg. I know as you listened, you may have thought of someone who really needed to hear her healing words. Would you share this episode with them? You never know how God could use this in their lives to bring healing and wholeness. I want to let you know that season one of Ministry Strong will be taking a break over the Christmas holidays, but we will be back in January with more topics to empower you in ministry. Use these next few weeks to catch up on episodes you may have missed. And if this was your first time listening, make sure you're following the Ministry Strong podcast wherever you listen. That way you will know when our new episodes drop in January. Merry Christmas, friends. Joel and I will be back in 2023 with a conversation about ministry crisis and comebacks. 
Ministry Strong is a production of Ivy Media Podcasts, produced and edited by Angie Elkins. Artwork by Caleb Peavy and Noel Rhodes. Original music by Robert Elkins. A special thanks to my Ministry Strong team. Thank you for your dedication and hard work. Your hosts of Season 1 are Lisa Whittle and Dr. Joel Matamale. Thanks so much for listening. Let's get strong in him.